Blog Talk Radio. Welcome one and all. This is Robert Rogers and you have just connected to Parkinson's Recovery. This is the place to be. This is the place to come in order to be able to get information that can help you find sustained relief from whatever symptoms you might be currently experiencing that are associated with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. I have been capturing all that I have learned for the last few years and written that into my book, Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. The second edition is now out. So those of you who are interested in being able to get a summary of all of the wisdom that I've captured through the interviews and the research that I have done and through the radio shows, you'll be able to get that from Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. I have an incredibly special guest for the show today, Bianca Molay, who, by the way, also goes by the name of Blanche, and we'll get to hear a little bit more about that story in just a bit. Bianca, tell us about yourself. Hi, Robert, and hello, audience. Thank you. Um, Okay, a bit about myself. First, I'm going to slow myself down because I'm a native New Yorker and tend to do everything very fast, including speaking. So, um, born in New York, um, background uh, teaching, uh, and um, uh, spent my life uh, teaching, the the last 20 years teaching middle school, which um, was a wonderful, wonderful experience and required tons of energy. Um, and I'm also, uh, on the personal level, um, m- most proud uh, of my personal life being a, a mother and a grandmother. I have two wonderful sons and two wonderful, beautiful grandchildren and a lovely daughter-in-law, and I'm um, very pleased um, that they're my family and also have, uh, have extended family uh, in different parts of the country. Um, so that's uh, personal background about myself. Um, I don't know what else you'd like to hear. Those of you who would like to be able to connect with Bianca and ask her questions, you are cordially invited to call in to our toll-free number if you live in the United States, and that number is 877-590-0733. If you live outside the United States, you can always connect through the show right now through Skype, and you'll be able to ask her and connect with her whatever questions you might currently have. So, Bianca, tell us, when did symptoms of Parkinson's first appear for you? Okay, well, I was diagnosed in 2008, but probably around well, around 2000-ish, I would say, um, the first symptoms appeared, but I had no idea that they were <clears throat> Parkinson's-related because I thought Parkinson's just meant a tremor, and the tremor didn't appear till about two years before my diagnosis. So um, some of the other symptoms were um, – shall I go into those now? Oh, I think people would like to know, okay. uh, yeah, what it was back then. Okay, I just like to caution people who are out there that if, if you have these individual symptoms, it does not mean you have Parkinson's disease because sometimes people want to know all the symptoms and then, oh, constipation, gee, I have that. I wonder if I have Parkinson's. <laughs> so I just want to make sure that yeah. people are clear that, um, first of all, let me preface it with saying that, that um, Parkinson's is a, a movement disorder where parts of the body that you don't want to move, like hands, arms, or whatever is shaking, will be moving and parts of the body that sometimes you would like to move, like the digestive system and the bowels, aren't moving very well. So my first uh, symptom that I was aware of, although at the time I wasn't aware that it was related to Parkinson's, was um, constipation, world-class, which lasted for many, many years. And um, then uh, some other things that started happening, uh, my handwriting, being an English teacher and constantly correcting papers and writing all kinds of editorial comments, um, I thought that I was just getting lazy and sloppy as I was getting older. I, I didn't give, you know, I thought I was in control. I wasn't in control. My handwriting was was like chicken scratch because of the Parkinson's. And I just kept telling myself that if I, oh, if you just took your time, it would look better. Well, that wasn't the case. So 
uh, it's better now, by the way. Um, and uh, let's see what else. The handwriting, the constipation, the tremors. Um, I also had um, aches and pains all over. Um, and as the Parkinson's progressed, I mean, I didn't know what was causing aches and pains, it was, um, but I could actually feel my muscles being um, squeezed on the one hand and felt like they were being pulled and stretched on the other. So they were kind of being pushed and pulled from all directions is what I felt internally. And it was um, very painful and very fatiguing. Um, and that was another thing, fatigue. And then also um, I had some difficulty swallowing. Uh, not so much when I was upright eating as when I was lying down in, in bed, uh, you know, allergies and things like that. I would uh, I would be swallowing uh, in the middle of the night and, and or not swallowing and choking and, and waking up to that. Um, so I had some of that. Um, besides the tremors, which the worst tremor was in my left hand, and I'm left-handed, but I did have tremor activity on the right side as well. And my right leg was the leg that was most affected by Parkinson's. And um, what would happen would be that I would be walking, and in my mind, according to what, what I you know, my brain thought that it had lifted my right foot. But in reality, that hadn't happened, and so my foot would drag along the ground. Not all the time, just once once in a while, but that was happening a, a little more frequently towards the end there. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, and another thing was that... Um, when I would go to, in quotes, relax at night in bed, for some reason my um, fingertips would curl up toward my wrists. Uh, and, uh, you know, I had to, th that was something that was kind of difficult. And even when I was getting um, a massage one time and the masseuse touched my wrist, my it was sort of like a automatic response that my my fingertips shot up toward my wrist and curled in. Um, and then I did have, I think as a result of all that possibly, I did have some difficulty with cognitive functioning because I was trying so hard to keep everything together. And um, and I've worked with learning disabled students as, as part of my career too, and now I understand what's meant by the fact that they're trying so hard to keep everything together that learning on top of it all is, is really difficult because I had gone from being somebody who uh, was really quick study at a lot of things to um, having a real slow learning curve if existent at all. I think that's most of the symptoms. If I think of any others, I'll pop them up when I think of them. Did you notice any loss of smell, the ability to smell? Possibly. It, hard, hard to say. Um, you know, sometimes people would smell things and I didn't smell them, and sometimes not. Um, but... Um, then I get a stuffy nose and, and that kind of thing anyway. So that, that that I really don't have a definitive answer for. When were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed April 29, 2008. <clears throat> and at the time, um, it was not a surprise. I uh, The tremors had gotten worse and worse. I kept telling myself that... Um, uh, I was maybe a type A or maybe, you know, that second cup of coffee that I had some mornings was doing it. But um, when it got to the point where it interfered with eating soup and I really had difficulty getting the spoon up to my my mouth without spilling, um, I made an appointment with the neurologist. Also, oh, another symptom that I had um, that I think other people may relate to um is that there were times when I just had random arm movements. This was prior to my diagnosis because somebody said to me, oh, that could be for medication, but I wasn't on medication at the time it first happened. I was, um, for instance, I was sitting in the dentist chair and um, the hygienist was leaning over me and all of a sudden my left arm just shot up and and got her in the under the chin. Um, you know, I wasn't intending to punch her. <laughs> and um, I, I didn't know how to explain it and was so sorry. And then I think it was a month or two later I was diagnosed and I, I wrote a note and explained what had happened. Cause I, uh, so that was another symptom that I had too. In terms of the process of the diagnosis, did you have one appointment with a neurologist where you were diagnosed or did it require multiple appointments with a number of tests 
to be able to determine that you had to Parkinson's disease? Uh, there was one very long appointment where he did a number of tests, and he explained to me, the neurologist, that there was no definitive diagnosis for Parkinson's, which I later on found out a little differently, but um, that uh, he was about 99% sure from how I presented that I did have Parkinson's, and what they did do for a diagnosis was that they um, prescribed uh, a trial run on the dopamine drug Cinemet, and if symptoms started to abate, then that clinched the diagnosis. Um, so, uh, and then oh, and prior to that, that they would do a brain scan. I've since found out that I think a PET scan probably could have done that, but we don't offer that as part of our um, generally as part of our health insurance here in the United States. You probably know more about that than I do, Robert. So you uh, took that trial of sentiment that yes. was prescribed, and that showed a positive result. Yes, it did. As a matter of fact, I started, and, and um, prior to my diagnosis, I had already, uh, just about uh, several months before, I had already submitted my retirement papers for teaching. I just knew that I did not have the energy to endure another year in all the pain and everything that I was going through. Um, so, uh, But as a result, I w there were going to be um, you know, some banquets and awards and this and that. So when I took the dopamine drug, which was originally supposed to only be like for a two-week trial or something, um, it was working so well at the time that I asked the neurologist, could I continue on it till the end of school, uh, mid-June, because I, I wanted to go out on a high. I didn't want people knowing what was going on, and the last thing I wanted was sympathy. So um, he said, sure, you can do that. So I did continue on the drug um, for a while longer and then um, went off it and um, was surprised at how much worse I seemed when I went off it um, and didn't want to go back on the dopamine drug because it was very early in my um, situation with Parkinson's and, and um, wanted to save that for later on because uh, of uh, potential side effects, wanted to put that off. So um, when I started having real difficulty without the drug, I, I asked, you know, was there something else I could go on? I was put on another drug, which uh, I had such terrible results, such terrible um, reaction to it that I went off that drug and went back on the Cinemet and then stayed on the Cinemet. Um, for about another year till I uh, discovered uh, Qigong. Um, and on the Cinemet, during that course of that year, uh, you know, at first everything seemed, it almost seemed like I didn't have Parkinson's for, you know, it, it, you know everything seemed pretty good. And then um, little by little, I guess I started building up a tolerance or whatever happens. But um, I was at the point where I was going to have to um, increase my medication um, in order, if I wanted to, you know, have a, a, a more full and active life, and I really didn't want to do that. What was your reaction to the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease? Um, I was not totally surprised. Um, again, as I said, you know, I, I saw the, the tremor, and um, the, so the diagnosis didn't surprised me. What did surprise me was everything that came along with the package. I thought the package was just tremor. I didn't realize that it included pain and really um, being a prisoner in your own body. So, so, um, so my reaction to that was a little bit of surprise. But and also, it was the first thing on my mind. You know, uh, when I would wake up in the morning, and it was the first, and it was the last thing on my mind when I would go to bed. And after about three days of that, after the diagnosis, I, um, well, I, I, I had a conversation with myself uh, in bed one night, and it was funny. I mean, I, I guess I had a meeting. I had a, I had a, an executive board meeting with body, mind, and spirit. We all got into the room and, and sat down and listened to each other, and, um, and I said basically, I'm a teacher. I believe that everything is a learning experience. Parkinson's teach me body teach me what am I supposed to learn and um, you know it was about just a little over a year after that um, that I learned how to heal myself so um, I feel you know very grateful for that
how did you find Qigong? Um, well, part of my reaction to my diagnosis, um, which I had meant to mention, was um, I went to, at the time, uh, Borders was still open in Marin County. I went to Borders, and um, I think I bought out the bookshelf on Parkinson's, I don't know, five, seven books, um, besides which going online and um, going to different um, organizations, um, Parkinson's support groups, um, uh, signing up for the DNA study 23andMe, um, uh, and let's see what else did I do. Uh, you know, any, anyway, I, I, I just really uh, went on a search for information, and um, twice I came ac- across quotes about Qigong. One was from Dr. Oz, and I don't think he mentioned um, Parkinson's in particular, but the quote was something, I'm paraphrasing, like, if you want to live to be 100 years and feel good, um, do Qigong. And then um, there was another that I found somewhere in one of the many readings that talked about how all movement was good for Parkinson's, but particularly Qigong, that that was the best. And I scratched my head because I wasn't even sure how to pronounce it, and I thought, I live in Marin County. If I haven't heard of this, where is it? And it was shortly after that that it showed up. Um, and I'm very grateful to my friend um, Jean Adams who convinced me to go to um, the first um, Healer Within workshop led by Ming Tungu here in Marin County. And um, so uh, that was how I first became introduced to uh, Qigong. We have had individuals on the radio show who have reported travels to all parts of the earth, to Japan, to Jamaica, to England, to France, to Mexico, to Canada, you name it. You went to China. What made you decide to go to China? Well, in answering that question, um, the first thing that I'd like to do is to show my gratitude to the teacher who who led me to China, which is Ming Tung Gu of the Qi Center uh, here uh, in Northern California, and um, and to his teacher, Dr. Pang Ming, uh, who is still over there in China. And um, Ming Tung studied under Dr. Pang Ming, who had set up um, the Medicine Free Hospital years ago uh, in Beijing area, which has since uh, closed down, but when I went to that first Healer Within workshop uh, on June 19, 2009, here in Marin County, um, Ming Tung at that point was uh, going to have a retreat in China uh, in se- that following September, and so I saw, um, you know, shots of where we would be staying, and it was just such a beautiful, peaceful, serene environment. I felt like I really needed to go there. And um, it wasn't, I, I want to emphasize very strongly to the listening audience, you don't need to go anywhere. The, you know, your health is inside of you, and your ultimate good health and access to it is inside of you. For me, I think that the decision to make the trip was in itself, in some ways, the start of healing, because I never did things like that for myself. And um, and when I first thought about going, I thought, only other people do things like that. I don't do things like that. And then I thought, why can't I be like other people? Why can't I step up to the plate and do that? This is my life. And um, so, you know, it might be crazy to travel around the world with Parkinson's disease, but that's what I did. And I was off my meds at the time that I um, made the trip, too. Um, I had already come off the medication um, through Qigong. So um, that was how I decided to make the trip. I wanted to go to the retreat. I wanted to practice Qigong um, 24-7, and and I just thought that it would be maybe by doing something that was so out of the ordinary for me, maybe some other things that were out of the ordinary would start to happen for me too. And they did. We've heard on the radio show reports from a number of individuals on the time required to be able to fully recover and become symptom-free. It's really all over the place. Mm -hmm. What was your experience? How long did it take you to be able to see sustained relief and then to become actually symptom-free? Sustained relief started happening right 
away with the first time that I practiced at the Healer Within workshop, um, I started feeling one layer of pain strip away. There were many layers beneath that, so it was a it was a gradual process. But I knew um, that something was happening. In terms of relief, even before I left for China, as I said, I was I was off the meds, and how that started was that I started forgetting to take my medication, and how that started was that um, prior to Qigong. Uh, as the medication would start to wear off every few hours, the tremors would increase, the pain would increase, the tightness and stiffness would increase. Um, so when I first started forgetting, I was concerned. I was still sort of operating on, you know, the Western medical scale of I have to take my medication every so often. And then I realized, wait a minute, if my body is forgetting, maybe my body is telling me that I don't need to do that. So anyway, um, so I started feeling relief right away. The last thing to go was the tremor, and the tremor was visible uh, in China, and it was visible, um, uh, well, for for months after that, not a whole lot, less and less and less, and um, and sometimes tremoring would appear more when I was doing Qigong or when I was at a retreat or at a weekend, which would mean that the energy was, you know, moving through the blockages. It's not always a, a bad thing. Um, and then when I saw the neurologist, um, uh, when was it, in uh, September, last September, uh, he declared me uh, free of any signs of Parkinson's. Um, frankly, I think that I'm still healing, whether I'm still healing from Parkinson's or healing from life, I don't know, but I just feel better and stronger every day. And I realized that I didn't, and talking about the neurologist, you asked about the diagnosis, I saw one neurologist several times, then I saw a movement disorder specialist um, who also confirmed the diagnosis, and then I saw another neurologist. So I was actually seen by three different, um, three different uh, neurology professionals. Bianca has written a stunning essay on her experience, and uh, I want everybody to know that that has been posted on the Parkinson's Recovery blog. So you can read her essay if you'll visit www.blog.parkinsonsrecovery.com. There's also a slightly earlier posting on the blog that includes a link to a dazzling YouTube video. You're listening to her now, and you probably are wondering, I wonder what she looks like. <laughs> you can actually see Bianca Molay in this particular video answering a number of questions about her experience with her own recovery. And at the end of this video, there is also a marvelous demonstration of Qigong. As you're listening, then you may be thinking, I don't quite get what this Qigong stuff is. You can actually see her demonstrate Qigong in conjunction with the person that actually interviewed her. So be sure to visit the blog, read the essay, click and see the video. Those are our experiences that are will dazzle you and are well worth spending the time. People I know, uh, Bianca, are um, probably thinking, you sound like somebody I used to know by the name of Blanche. <laughs> Is this Blanche? I know a Blanche Molay, but I don't know a Bianca. So what's the deal? Are you both Bianca and Blanche? Yes, I am. Um, uh, the story goes like this. Well, actually, my email for 30 years or more has been Bianca because I was named after my Italian grandmother, who was Bianca. But the name from the time I received it was anglicized to Blanche. Um, when I got to China, Ming Tung and my other beloved Chinese teachers, uh, Teacher Ma, Teacher Zhao, Teacher Zhang, Teacher Wu, they could not pronounce Blanche. Um, it, they couldn't even come close to Branch. I would have accepted Branch, but it wasn't even that. that and, and I wouldn't have known that they were talking to me. So finally, I just looked at them and I said, can you say Bianca? And they all, they nodded their hands and went, Bianca, Bianca. And I thought, okay, we got a name. So so that's how that happened. And then, as it turns out, 
um, that's my life changed at about the same time that that name change happened because I went from somebody who was sick and shrinking to somebody who's well and whose life is exploding in all kinds of good ways, like a beautiful fireworks. So um, I like it. And I will I will answer to Bianca or Blanche. Just don't call me late to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I consider it a high privilege to be able to ask all sorts of questions of my guest on the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show every week. But the opportunity is available to the many of you who are listening to this show live to call in and actually connect with Bianca directly. Feel free to do just that right now. The toll-free number is 877-590-0733 if you live in the United States. And if you don't, you can connect and talk directly with her and ask her your questions directly if you'll go through Skype on your computer. Everybody I know is interested in some of the messages that you have acquired, some of the learnings as a result of your experience over the last three years. So what are some of these messages? Okay, my first message is going to not answer directly that question but because when you were talking about the video I wanted it reminded me of something and I just want to say to those people who do click onto the video that it shows the first third of the Qigong practice lift you up pour you down because I've been getting emails from people who are watching and practicing they're copying the video and that's only one third of the practice so I just wanted to make that clear and um, that I have a uh, a document that I can attach to send out to email people if they want to know, um, you know, which DVDs I practice with and what CDs and whatever. So anyway, I just wanted to get that clear. Uh, thank you. The the question again was, I guess, what what have I learned? Um, and I think um, the biggest thing I would say to those people who are working on healing of any kind um, is to celebrate small victories. Um, you know, I think in our society, in our culture, so, so many times we, we set up these long-term goals and, you know, we're not going to celebrate them until we get there. And what I have learned, and, and actually it came to me, you know, it comes to parents, we, we, we celebrate every little thing our children do. Or when I was teach, teaching special education, somebody would make a small step and we would celebrate it. Well, do the same thing for yourself. Uh, you know, whatever you, whatever progress you make, celebrate. I'm working with someone in the London area right now, and since she's been doing Qigong this very brief time, she went to her, I think it was Tai Chi class or some class, and the teacher told her that her movements are mo- more fluid. That's something to celebrate. That's, you know, it doesn't have to be that the tremors disappear before you start celebrating. Um, Ming Tung, my my Qigong master, has said, a happy cell is a healthy cell. And I really believe that. And there are some, I don't know the studies on this. I've only spoken to people who have claimed to have read studies, but that maybe it's not that the dopamine produces the happiness, but maybe the happiness produces the dopamine. So it's, you know, think about that. Make yourself happy and make yourself well. So that would be, that would, you know, that would be um, one of the first things. And then in line with that, I would say that I have learned gratitude. I first learned gratitude with the Parkinson's because I knew that my life as I was living it was going to get smaller and smaller according to the prognosis that I believed at the time. And as a result, I really appreciated everything that I could yet do. And now I can do so much more. And as a result, I appreciate all that. Um, the fact that I can pour myself a cup of coffee in the morning and, and not have to worry about the mug shaking. Um, just, just, just things that I, I no longer um, have to worry about make, make me so grateful. I, I never realized, you know, what a piece of work the body is. It's amazing. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. And generally... Um, Every night before I go to sleep, I try to think of three things that I could be grateful for during the day. Most days I find even more. Some days it's a stretch to find two, but most days three come up pretty easy, if not more. And I think that those are probably good good rules of good health. 
There is a way that anyone listening to this show can track their own symptoms through the Parkinson's Recovery Symptom Tracker. It's free. It's always available. And once you connect into the system and register, which requires only that you input your email address and choose a password, that's so that you can track yourself over time. To go on to the main website, parkinsonsrecovery.com, you'll see a link to the symptom tracker. And I want to invite everyone to do that now, to do that today after the show concludes. You'll get a baseline of where you're at today, and then you can go back into symptom tracker at any time, one week, two weeks, a month, two months, and you'll see the progress that you are making, and you'll be able to celebrate then. You'll actually see a, a tracking, a chart. And so the system actually codes the data and tracks you across time. Of course, it's all private information. It's only it's available to you. No one knows who you are. All you have to do is enter your email address and then choose a password. So that symptom tracker, and it's a, it's a mechanism that Parkinson's Recovery sponsored and is making available to everyone out there who realizes the importance, as does Bianca, of celebrating the incredible recovery and progress that you are making rather than fixating on what might be a current uh, symptom or pain that's uh, particularly troublesome. So what are some of the other messages, Bianca, that you are taking away from this experience? Um, well, I, you know, it's, it's, I would say that dedication to the practice. I mean, I don't make a secret of the fact that I practice two to three hours a day um, and more if I can. Um, it's a dedicated practice, but it's a playful practice. Um, and, you know, just have fun. Uh, you know, I, I, I really have fun with the practice. Um, use your mind creatively. Um, uh, the Sometimes people get concerned, particularly people with Parkinson's, sometimes they're concerned about doing things the right way. They want to visualize everything exactly the right way, and they want to do the movements exactly the right way. And, you know, I have to say that um, I initially, uh, you know, didn't do the practice very well because my balance was off. I was having trouble following directions. But my intent was there, 8 million percent. <laughs> and... Um, and the intent is the most important thing. If you have the intent to heal and you're diligently working, don't worry about, in quotes, getting it right. Just keep doing it and it will get better and better. Um, I have told some people with Parkinson's, and I'll, I'll modify the language for the radio, but um, that uh, if somebody had come up to me when I had Parkinson's and said, you can be rid of this if you jump into... Um, an ocean of feces and swim a mile, I would have dived in and said, which direction? So, um, you know, it's the intent that is that is so important. And not to worry about the rest. Everything will fall into place. Describe, if you would, Bianca, a typical day for you. Do you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is qigong, or does it look differently? Uh, actually, I have some healing CDs made by um, my teacher, Ming Tung, that I keep in the CD player by the bed. So as I go to sleep at night, when I get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and when I wake up in the morning, I start out listening to a healing CD. And then very often, um, I do before I get out of bed after that, very often I will do um, 10 or more minutes of a practice called La Chi. Um, and then, um, which is a simple arm movement, and um, uh, I'd actually, yeah, and, and, and I don't want to go into all of that right now. If you want to know later, I'll tell you. Um, and then, um, depending on what the day is, because sometimes I'm called to substitute teach. Sometimes, uh, you know, depending on how much time I have, um, I will, I will do. Uh, I like to start off the morning um, doing a meditation practice. Um, and then going into the physical practice. Um, in the past, I've done it reverse, but right now I'm I'm starting off doing the meditation, and um, I generally get it in in different segments. Um, most of the CDs and 
uh, DVDs are are uh, about 40 to 50 minutes, and then you know any Qigong I can do on my own, I can make it for my own time slot. But I generally try to practice for at least half hour to 40 minutes at a time if I can. If my day is so fragmented that I have to do it less than that for a while, I do. But the important thing is just just to get it in. So. Um, Basically, morning, afternoon, and evening, I like to get some in. If I'm working, I can't always get in the afternoon part to late afternoon. So I just modify as as the day demands. Some of my guests describe the fight-or-flight kind of energy that has been typical for most of their life. Would this describe you? And if so, how has Qigong been able to counteract that? Um, I would say yes, that that very much describes me and that I didn't realize that I was constantly holding my body in a tensed position until I started to relax because I didn't know that there was anything else. I thought that's how my body was. And um, little by little, uh, I would say this is where the meditation and particularly the sound healing meditation has been extremely helpful in calming me down and making me aware of my body and the sensations of my body because I think, yes, there's that fight or flight uh, which some health practitioners, you know, uh, uh, say that the effect on the kidneys um, has a great deal to do with Parkinson's too. So that's something to look into. But um, uh, so, yeah, that that really was something that the, that the meditation and I think particularly the sound healing meditation as well as the slow movements of the lift chi up, pour chi down practice and the standing meditation, the things that I did initially um, for my healing, I think those all really helped and, and now I see the difference. As a matter of fact, I've explained to some people that when I first started healing from Parkinson's, um, that posture that my hands used to have in the evening of hooking um, when I was in bed, um, I was getting better and didn't need to do that anymore, but my body memory was still there, and I would catch my hands doing that, even though they didn't need to do it anymore, and I would have to make a, a, an effort, uh, a conscious effort. No, just relax the hands. That's not necessary. It was very interesting. I talked with a gentleman just uh, this week, who reported he was spending $1,000 a month on supplements. Are taking supplements a part of what is important to you to attend to? You know, it's funny, but um, in the last few years since I've been healing, I've done less and less with supplements. Um, I did for a long time take 1,200 milligrams of coenzyme Q10, which is quite expensive, um, because that was supposed to be the wonderful thing. And now I've just read Michael J. Fox's group has come out with a study or is publishing the results of a study that say that there's nothing definitive about that. I still take 600 milligrams of coenzyme Q10 a day just because it's supposed to be good for heart and other things. But I'm really um, I'm not doing anything big with supplements right now. How about diet? Um, my diet tends to be healthy. Um, uh, for years, I've been doing wheat and gluten-free. Uh, again, I'm not fanatic about anything. Um, if, uh, if I'm not going to let anything get in the way of a good celebration, let's put it that way. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but for the most part, I do wheat and gluten-free, um, and you know, watch not processed foods and sugar and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, am a lot less strict about my diet than I was, let's say. 10 years ago. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that's basically, uh, you know, I watch salt and that kind of thing and um, and try to use herbs and, and fresh vegetables, organic, but, again, not fanatic. The topic in probably a fourth of my radio shows is exercise or forced exercise. To what extent does exercise beyond Qigong play in your life? Um Right now, not a whole lot. Um, I'm uh, I'm a walker and a hiker, and um, actually, <laughs> as a um, once I healed from the Parkinson's, I realized that some of the pain and problem with my right leg 
was not Parkinson's related. Some of it was, particularly the dragging of the foot, but I have some other issues that I've been working on that are healing beautifully, but part of the healing is that I'm not going out there and taking the hills like I used to right now. So um, right now I'm working on my healing my leg with Qigong and um, giving it a little bit of a rest otherwise. But um, as it gets better, you know, like um, I'm not walking, I'm not going out on the trails every day now, but I did go out once this week, and I will increase little by little because that's what I love to do is to be in nature. Beyond Qigong and some of uh, else of what you've talked about, what other therapies have you found have been particularly useful and helpful to you? Hmm. You know, I'm basically, I think, what they call maybe a one-trick pony. <laughs> I, I investigated many different things and, and couldn't do some because of uh, financial constraints or, or didn't seem right for me or whatever. And I'm very fortunate that... My healing came through Qigong because basically, you know, I think whatever whatever we need, if we're really looking for it, you know, comes to us. And and I would have had probably a difficult time managing a whole lot of different systems. So for me, putting all my eggs in the Qigong basket worked beautifully and still does. So, yeah, that's, that's basically um, as far as other therapies go. Um, I think massage is important and... Um, and I still try to get a massage, uh, you know, uh, when I can, maybe even once a month, just to, you know, if I if I can pamper myself that way. Um, but I really, I think movement, any kind of movement, whatever movement works for people is great. But I would say make qigong, uh, wisdom healing qigong, which is the kind of qigong that I do, uh, or zineng qigong, is um, was my basic path to healing. From your intimate acquaintance with Qigong, can you explain to people how this particular therapy succeeds and works for you? Okay, I'm going to answer that two ways. The first one is going to be my cop-out because my my Qigong teacher does it better than I. And, and um, if you just go to um, uh, qicenter.com, he explains Qigong. Um, but I will uh, I will attempt to paraphrase what I learned from him, which is that uh, you know the ancient Chinese believed that all disease um, or almost all disease was a blockage of energy, and that by getting energy to move through the body freely, that um, uh, the illness would start to disappear. And so what the Qigong practice does is it basically invokes um, the energy which is out there in the 96% of the universe that is unseen because we only see 4% of the universe that's material. Um, So it invokes the healing energy to come in. And as the different movements of the practice and the different meditations of the practice direct the energy to where it needs to go to heal, the energy also has its own intelligence, and sometimes will go to places on its own that need to be healed. So um, uh, that's it, it, it's uh, pretty uh, it's pretty difficult to um, to articulate. That's about as close as I can get. Where do these blockages come from? Is it like traveling down the interstate and all of a sudden you're up against an accident and have to wait four or five hours? <laughs> I think, and again, um, I'm just interpreting here, but I think it probably comes from life patterns. Um, For instance, that fight or uh, fright or flight that we were talking about um, response, uh, the body tenses, and the body keeps doing that over and over again. Uh, You know, the muscles are going to become tense and the blockages are going to occur. So I think that, that basically what the Qigong does, and that's why it's a gradual process, is it gradually breaks down those old unhealthy patterns. Because, I mean, people have been healed from cancer, diabetes, um, uh, asthma, um, orthopedic types of conditions as well. Um, You know, it's just addictions. It's amazing what people have been healed from uh, through Qigong. What are some of the other messages that you want to make sure that people hear 
Um, I think basically, along with the gratitude, I think there. Um, what what I learned and what I would would like to share is that that I learned to have confidence in that inner voice that and and to to realize that um there is good out there for me and um by staying positive I'm on the right trail um and uh loving myself is a really important message and um I thought I was really good at loving other people and I knew I had some work to do with loving myself and now the more I do that, the more I see that I open up to loving others too. And, and that really is the answer. Um, uh, and, and again, I can't I can't explain that um, scientifically. Um, but I know that I think uh, Bruce Lipton and some other scientists have actually measured chi, measured energy, and are able to uh, show what happens as as the energy runs through the system too. And um, all I can say is love is a good catalyst there. I know that many of you who are listening to the show have attended our Jumpstart to Wellness programs. I want all of you to know that those of you who are Parkinson's Recovery members will now find videos that are posted every week of some of what we taught at Jumpstart to Wellness We've gotten feedback that there's a lot of information that we convey in that short two-and-a-half-day period, so we decided to uh, segment out the lessons, put them on videos, and then post them onto the member website. Those of you who haven't logged on recently, be sure to get in there because what you'll see are the, uh, the, the segments of what Deborah and I taught in Vancouver, Washington last March. You mentioned, Bianca, that you were teaching, you then retired, and now you're back to teaching, apparently in a substitute sense. How has your life changed otherwise since your healing experience? Um, well, <laughs> uh, just in terms of my relationship with my family, I have so much more energy. I'm volunteering in I just finished a year of volunteering in my granddaughter's kindergarten class and had a great time and planned to go back next year and volunteer for her, with her first grade class. And then as an offshoot of my substitute teaching, as I said, I spent part of my uh, teaching time teaching special education, so I'm often called into special education classes and um, actually have started introducing Qigong to those special education classes and um, teacher and staff there are so pleased with what's happening that now there's another two teachers who I understand are interested in my bringing that into the schools next year. So um, this thing has just taken on a life of its of its own and in terms of purpose, I am so grateful to have the purpose now that I have a message to share and just want to bring that message of hope to everyone. So um, I'm, I'm grateful that for whatever reason, I'm a person who at this point in my life can do that. One of the guests on my radio show, Angela Wensley, from several months ago, just returned from extended travel of work as well as vacation. Angela has a bucket list that she refers to often. She's actually written down some things that she wants to make sure that she gets done. Do you have a bucket list, Bianca? And are there certain things that you want to make sure that you do in your life? Um, you know, I think that um, I don't have a bucket list per se right now, um, almost because I just, like watching things unfold and, and being very spontaneous. And, um, uh, you know, I started coaching um, people overseas, and something that's on my mind now is, um, you know, why not go overseas and, and, and visit the people that I've been, been working with. And um, so who knows? I mean, I, I just don't know. It's opened up all kinds of things. And, um, I, you know, I'm going to be 63 next month. And for the first 60 years of my life, fear was the co-author. And for the rest of my life, I would like confidence 
and joy and a spirit of adventure to be the co-authors. So that's my bucket list. <laughs> and all of those three co-authors come through clearly during this radio show encounter with you, as everybody can also experience from just listening to your discussion of how your life has been changed over the last several years. It's quite a remarkable story. You are then now doing coaching for people. Tell us about that. Um, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I when the when the video, well, even prior to the video, somehow people were hearing about me, and I started getting emails from around the country. And then after the YouTube video, I've heard from people in Europe as well as. Um, a woman in Argentina, and all wanting, you know, wanting to know what I did and how I did it and things like that. So, um, I just started uh, coaching uh, the people overseas. How do people get in touch with you? Uh, well, right now there's my email, which I think you have posted as well, and I know that it's posted at the end of the video, and it's posted also on the Chi Center website. But I'll give it out. It's Bianca B I A N C A one seven three eight at AOL dot com. So right now that's that's the way to contact me. Some of the people listening to this show have just recently been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. What do you want to say to them now? Um, I just want to say that uh, you don't need to, you know you've been given a box, but you don't need to crawl into it. Um, I welcome you to jump out of the box and explore. And um, and uh, it is possible to it is possible to reverse symptoms and um, uh, it just you know work on the fear, um, work on the confidence, work on the joy. Would you describe yourself then, Bianca, as symptom free today? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would. Yes. And, and tell us more, if you would please, about what you would describe to be the healing journey. Um, I think everybody has, you know, will have a different experience of a healing journey. And for me, it was listening to the inner self, not not shutting that down. You know, there was a voice inside of me that was coming out very strongly um, telling me what would be the right thing to do. And as I mentioned in my video interview, um, even when I was diagnosed before I found Qigong, I tried to stay positive. When people asked how I was feeling, I wasn't going to go on with a list of everything that was bothering me because nobody, I knew nobody would want to hear that, you know. And, and I wanted, to me, it was really important to try to stay socially connected. And I thought, you know, I don't want to turn people off. Um, but every once in a while, I would get really honest with somebody in the family or somebody who was close, and my stepmother in New York uh, had asked me how I was doing at that time, and I said, well, it's not getting any better. This thing only goes in one direction, you know. And right after I said it, it was almost like I was hit with a lightning bolt or something. Something inside my head said, that's wrong. You know that's wrong. Um, and and I don't think I ever forgot that message from somewhere deep inside of me that I didn't know existed telling me you don't have to keep getting worse. I don't know where that came from, but, you know, listening to the inner voice was key for me. What in general has been your experience when you tell other individuals, especially several years back, that you were diagnosed with Parkinson's disease? What are the reactions? Well, Again, I really tried to stay positive because I couldn't stand seeing uh, sympathy or sorrow in somebody's face. So when I told them, um, they probably thought I was an idiot because I said, oh, this is a gift. I get to do whatever I want to do now. I can be as lazy as I want. I've worked hard all my life. Now I can be lazy. You know, I mean, that was how I put it out there. So, um, uh, And when they asked what they could do to help, I said, what you can do to help is to treat me as though I don't have Parkinson's disease. Um, if you're going to go on a hike or something and you think I might be interested and then you think, oh, no, she has Parkinson's now, she won't be, call me anyway and let me make the decision as to whether or not I feel like going that day. So, um, you know, I, I gave them the guidelines. <laughs> and um, so there, there wasn't a whole lot of difference 
by who uh, and how most people treated me. Some people fell by the sidelines a little bit, and that was okay. You know, that's what they needed to do. Would you describe your experience as an experience where you did it all by yourself, or would you describe this as an experience where you got help? Oh, it's definitely the help of the of the chi field of every practitioner of qigong or any kind of energy work or it's 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 all out there because of the practice um um you know it's it's uh, as ming tung says in, in the chi field 1 plus 1 equals 3 um <laughs> you know it's a cumulative effect um so i had access to it and i had the the motivation and determination to do it um, so in that way, that was the, I had the key and unlocked the, the door. But then when I got inside this beautiful universe, um, there was all kinds of help. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. My guest is Bianca Molay, who has been talking about her complete and full recovery from having experienced the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. She just explained to everyone that she didn't do it alone. She got quite a bit of help. And I want to suggest to everyone you have an offer on the table. She has uh, extended her email address, and she has a lot of support materials that you can go reference, and you can actually call her up and get some person-to-person help. It seems to me that that's an incredible offer, and I want to invite you to take advantage of that. My experience of the individuals who are recovering and who are completely recovered, and for those of you who have been listening to this radio show, you are well aware there are many individuals who fall into that category. I don't know of anybody who's done it by themselves. Everybody gets help. And so here you have an offer from an individual who's gone through the full experience, who's found a solution that works for her. And so if her approach calls to you, I want to suggest follow up, take some action, do some emailing, and talk with her directly. I know that there are a very large number of individuals who are listening to this show live. We always have many, 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 many people who listen to the archives, but this, as it turns out, is a show where I know we have many individuals who are listening live. So for those of you who are listening now, I wouldn't sit around and wait. Take action. I read her material, look at the video, email her, connect, and get additional information and support for clearly here is a route to recovery that has worked beautifully for her. Bianca, is there anything else you want to be sure and say to our listening audience that you haven't had a chance to say yet? Uh, well, I, I'd like to express gratitude for you and for what you're doing and the beautiful work that you're doing as I'm just starting to learn of this. Um, you know, as I as I said, I, I, I came, well, I didn't say this to you, but when I've spoken to groups, I came to this whole field of energy work and, 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 and um, Qigong and everything, a total bonehead. You know, the, the message that the universe will take care of you, for me, just used to be blah, 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 blah. It didn't mean anything. And now I know so differently so I would just like to say that even if even if what I'm saying sounds a little woo-woo and a little intimidating, if you're at all intrigued, at all curious, um, you know, you don't have to have been on this road for years and years and years. I just kind of stumbled onto the path, and I'm so grateful that I that I did. It's worth exploring. The website that you mentioned too, Bianca, earlier that people can reference to find out more about Qigong is called ChiCenter.com. And I'm thinking that's spelled C-H-I-C-E-N-T-E-R dot com. Is that correct? Correct. So if you're if you're interested in exploring and learning more about what Qigong is all about, then that obviously would be an excellent resource for you to visit yes. on the web. I'd just like to say that there are people who months ago contacted me and as a result of their contact with me, got connected with the Chi Center and have since come out people from Oregon, from New Mexico, from Virginia, have come out to uh, the Chi Center here in um, Northern California, in Petaluma, California, just north of Marin County at the IONS Institute, and they've come for um, retreats to help with their recovery. So, um, yeah, check it out. <laughs> 
The archive published a book titled Pioneers of Recovery in 2009, which included stories of individuals who are on the road to recovery as well as healthcare practitioners. I'm going to be updating that book this year and including a number of stories from individuals who talk about their full recovery, and I hope you will give me permission to include your story in the new 2011 Pioneers of Recovery book. Permission granted. <laughs> Thank yes you. Thank you, universe. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, right. yes. I, I, and actually, as I was uh, preparing for the show today, all of a sudden I realized we have a large number of individuals now who have been on the radio show and who have talked about their experience with getting uh, uh, to the place where they're symptom-free, and I thought, it's time to update the book. <laughs> I need to <laughs> I need to include all those new stories in Pioneers of Recovery so everybody can be inspired you by know, and, and I think it's actually helpful to those of us who have recovered because it's only recently that I found out about um, two other gentlemen, um, John Coleman and, and Howard Shifka, who are out there who have um, – Recovered uh, from Parkinson's, so um, you know it's 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 really uh, like I said. At some point, I'd like to get us all together and do a little summit meeting or something. Oh, I think that would be <laughs> so much fun. Well, maybe that's what, <laughs> what? we could do is uh, for a Parkinson's recovery summit is we could just gather everybody together and uh, do some videotaping of everybody's story. Uh, yeah, there are quite a few individuals uh, actually, uh, and I've had a number of them on the radio show. And the other truth in telling is. I've had conversations with actually a surprising number of individuals, but uh, they've not uh, been on the show for one reason or another. As it turns out, when a person becomes symptom-free, many people just go off and do their own thing, (laughs) sort of leave behind the whole history of, uh, of how they experience these neurological challenges. So it's rather an interesting drama. And then, of course, there are some individuals that, uh, that really experience significant challenges uh, neurologically but don't want anybody to know about it. So they would prefer not to uh, go on the show <laughs> and talk about the story of uh, all of the uh, challenges that they experienced, uh, even though they are now symptom-free. So there are just a large number of people out there now, and I think your idea of beginning to create a body of persons and we'll just have a big convention and invite everybody to come and hear the stories is a wonderful idea. Yeah, I, I, well, you know, I mean, any excuse for a party, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, and, well, uh, the- yeah. So, and there was, oh, and, and I also wanted to say that when you asked me about how I handled the initial diagnosis and everything, um, when I went back to work in, uh, you know, after that uh, that afternoon, I was diagnosed in April and went back to work. Um, I did not. I chose not to tell my coworkers till after retirement. Again, because. I didn't want at all these different banquets and award ceremonies and things like that. I, I didn't want people. I didn't want to be a downer for anyone. But what I did do was I did tell my principal because I was on the Cinemet drug and because some of its side effects, although they were um, not supposed to be frequent, um, if I had a side effect of something like hallucination, I wanted him to know that it was from <laughs> what it was from. So, um, so I did. I did. Um, confidentially tell him about the the diagnosis and um and then after i retired and after all the you know all the dust had settled and all the celebrations were over then because i did want to substitute and i knew that that my tremor you know had been noticeable i didn't want people getting the wrong impression about why i was tremoring so then i called everybody that i thought might be asking me to substitute and let them know about my diagnosis because I thought, you know, um, they're more likely to call me if they think it's Parkinson's than if they think I'm drinking on the job or something, you know. So um, that was how I handled that strange. So, I mean, I know different people have different ways of how they deal and how they what they cover and what they don't cover. It's very interesting. By coincidence, my guest on the radio show next week is John Boland, who has Parkinson's and has also practiced successfully as a trial and employment lawyer for 25 years. John provides advice and representation to both employers who want to do the right thing and comply with the law, as well as employees who 
currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's. And basically, he'll be talking next week about how much do you tell your employer, which ought to be quite fascinating for everyone. So everybody will know exactly what the law says. And, of course, as an individual who actually currently experiences uh, the symptoms of Parkinson's, John will talk about his own experience in confronting that very same challenge. And then in three weeks, we've got David Zid, physical therapist who has written a book which is entitled, many of you may be familiar with it and may actually have David's book. It's called Delay the Disease, Functional Fitness for Parkinson's Disease. He's going to be my uh, guest uh, along with his partner, uh, Jackie, and they both will be talking about all the incredible work that they're actually doing uh, in conjunction with their work with individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's. They're doing absolutely stunning work. I've heard from a number of individuals who have reported back to me uh, that the book, the video, has been extremely helpful in providing them with sustained relief from their symptoms. So here's folks who focus on this, who know a great deal about what makes a difference and what helps, and will be available to answer any and all of your questions regarding what kinds of things can you do that will make a big difference. So that's Jackie Russell, who's a registered nurse, and David Zed. Uh, who have created this entire program of physical therapy. The actual book and, and DVD is called Delay the Disease. So they'll be my guest in three weeks from today. So we've got some truly exciting uh, radio shows who are scheduled and upcoming. So, Bianca Mole, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to tell us your story of recovery from the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. It's been my pleasure, and thank you again for all that you're doing out there. It's an honor and a privilege. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio show that you are by definition on the road to recovery. We look forward to connecting with you one week from today, 3 p.m. Pacific time on the radio show with John Bowman, who will tell you everything you need to know about what you need to tell or not tell your employer about whatever symptoms you might be currently experiencing. Have an absolutely wonderful week. Good day. Thank <laughs> you.